Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by exalting the glory of God, sharing and showing the love of Christ, and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now here's this week's message. We're continuing to walk through the book of Genesis, and I said a few weeks ago that from this point on, all the way to the end of the book of Genesis, uh, God really focuses on families, and this particular chapter focuses on the start of really one family, but a family through which God continues to use and to bless the people. Uh, So I'm going to put a bunch of verses up here on the screen, and... But meanwhile, if you want to open to Genesis chapter 24, that's where we're going to be. But I'm going to jump to the end of Genesis chapter 24, kind of show you how that chapter ends. And then we're going to backtrack and look at how that chapter starts. So uh, at the end of Genesis chapter 24, this is the last verse of chapter 24. And here's what it says. Isaac brought her, meaning Rebecca, into the tent of his mother, Sarah. And he married Rebekah. So she became his wife, and he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. This entire chapter is about how Isaac um, and Rebekah come to meet, but that's a small portion of it. And I've heard a lot of people preach and say that it's about, you know, uh, um, the Holy Spirit bringing people together because the, the uh, Abraham who sends out uh, one of his servants to go find a wife Uh, For Isaac, they they equate that to the Holy Spirit going out. That's a part of it. But it's really about people being in God-honoring relationships. And I've heard some people who have kind of misunderstood this passage, and they use it to say that it shows that God is racist. But that's not what what, what Moses, when he writes this account and he records it for us, uh, that's not what he's revealing to us. That's not what God wants us to know. And we're going to look. It's not about different races. It's actually about people of the same faith with the same morals and the same beliefs because throughout the chapter, that's what's reiterated. People who are trusting and believing in the same God coming into a relationship together. Uh, But here's what this says. At the end, it talks about the fact when these two end up getting together, Isaac and Rebekah, uh, that they're, you know, he brings her into his house. He loves her. So people talk about, well, this is, you know, push and uh, evidence for arranged marriages. Uh, this isn't arranged, so to speak. It kind of is, but not the way that they're done today. And I used to work with a woman who her marriage was through an arranged marriage. Um, they did a big spread on it in one of the Washington papers in Washington, D.C., and all this great stuff. But this is more about God bringing people together who are like-minded and of the same faith. But at the same time, Uh, If you look, it says Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. This was, it doesn't give us an exact time frame, but right after Sarah died. Because all of chapter 24 is about them coming together. But chapter 23 starts like this. Sarah lived to be 127 years old. She died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep over her. And it happens that when people enter into relationships, sometimes they're mourning uh, the loss of a loved one. Uh, And here's the thing. Abraham, obviously, if you lose a spouse, it can be hard, right? If you're a parent and you lose a child, mind-boggling, really hard to deal with. But you know what's equally hard? 
if you're a child and you lose a parent. So Isaac also was in a period of mourning after the loss of his mother. Now, just, just to give us some perspective time-wise, uh, Abraham, when Isaac was born, Abraham was 100 years old. Sarah was 90 years old. She was 10 years younger. And when Isaac was born, it was the 2049th year after creation. And again, all these years uh, verified, look through the Bible, not us guesstimating or whatever, very specific that the Bible gives us this time frame. Now, when Sarah dies, she dies at the age, as we just read, of 127. Abraham is 137. Isaac is 37, and it's the 2086th year after creation. So a very specific time frame. The time frame that we're not given is how long after she dies before he goes to look for a wife. It could have been a month later, several months later. Could have been uh, the typical mourning period, and I forget was uh, I forget if it was seven days or seven weeks or 30 days, uh, but it could have been a year later. We're not given that level of specificity. All we know is the next thing that God reveals to us in the very next chapter is that Abraham says, hey, you know what? I need to find a spouse who is like-minded for my son. So open your Bibles to the book of Genesis, uh, chapter 24. And we're going to start, and we're, there's a lot of verses, so we're kind of just going to hop through uh, some of them. We're not going to read every single one, but we're going to try to get through as many as we can. And in Genesis chapter 24, starting in verse 1, it says, Abraham was now old and well advanced in years, and we just read he was at least 137. And the Lord had blessed him in every way. And he said to the chief servant in his household, the one in charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh. Now pause there for a minute, because this chief servant was also his trusted friend. It was also the one to whom... Uh, most theologians believe that he was going to leave everything he had if he didn't have a son. Because in the previous verse, this is what, he's having a conversation with God, God is speaking to him, and he responds to God, he says, but Abraham said, sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. And there are other Jewish documents that say that they were not just, he wasn't just a servant, he was a longtime friend. And in my mind, I go to Batman and Alfred. He was like his Alfred, like looked out for him, there for him, takes care of him. So he was like, hey, when I go, this was before he has a son, he says, when I go, I'm going to leave everything to him. And then verse 3 says, I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I am living, but will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. Now, uh, just to point out again, this isn't about race, right? He's not looking and saying, hey, I don't, I don't want that race because it's the same race that he's from, same people. That's where he grew up. But he's saying, I want you to go and get someone of the same faith. I want someone who believes like I believe, because that's the kind of wife that I want for my son. And a servant asked him, what if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land? Shall I then take your son back to the country you came from, Mesopotamia? 
And he says, make sure you do not take my son back there, Abraham said. The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household and my native land, and who spoke to me and promised me on oath, saying, to your offspring I will give this land, he will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son from there. Now, just to really summarize really quick, he's saying, hey, the servant's saying, okay, you're sending me over here to get a wife from, from your people. But what if I can't find a woman who's willing to leave her family and come back here? Should I take your son from here and bring him over there among your people? And he's saying no, because my family is here, but also in that area are people who don't believe in the one true God. They worship multiple gods because that's what Abraham did before he was called by God. And Stephen, when he's talking about it in the book of Acts, he says that Abraham worshiped multiple gods because that was commonplace. But God spoke to him and said, hey, I'm the one true God. I want you to come out. Now, here's the other thing. Abraham says, hey, you know what? Don't take my son back here, but I am trusting that God is going to send an angel before you, and he's going to make sure that all of this works out. And one of the things that we read in the book of Acts also uh, when Stephen is giving his great testimony when he's being stoned, as he says this, he says, after 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to Moses in the flames of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. When he saw this, he was amazed at the sight. As he went over to get a closer look, he heard the Lord say, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses trembled with fear and did not dare to look. And what Stephen is saying is, hey, uh, there was an angel that appeared in the burning bush. When you get to the book of Exodus, you read, it was God who appeared in a burning bush. And what most theologians believe is not that there's a contradiction, that again, this is what's called a Christophany. Christ, who is often referred to in the Old Testament as the angel of the Lord or the angel of God is the one who appeared in the burning bush, because an angel wouldn't say, I'm the God of your fathers. Only God can say that. So they believe this was Jesus Christ appearing. And then the same angel, or Christophany, Christ, uh, is the one who, in the book of Exodus, went before all the Israelites while they were traveling in the desert. It says in Exodus 14, the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them. So God had, whether you believe it's an angelic being or Jesus Christ, God made sure that they were protected. And what Abraham is saying, hey, you know what? And even though this is before all the Exodus, he's saying God's going to send someone to make sure that the wife that I get for my son is going to be a God-honoring person who knows him. Because God isn't concerned about people marrying another race. God is concerned about people being pulled away from faith in him, which we talked about last week is what happened to Solomon and the 1,000 women uh, that he had. But then drop into verse 8. If the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you will be released from this oath of mine. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of his master Abraham and swore an oath to him concerning this matter. I think if you get nothing else out of this message, uh, Abraham's thing is, hey, God has pulled me away from that life. I don't want me or my family or anyone going back to that life. And if there's something that God has delivered you from, then we need to do everything we can to make sure we don't end up back there. 
Verse 10, then the servant took 10 of his master's camels and left, taking with him all kinds of good things from his master. And he set out for Aram Naharim and made his way to the town of Nahor, which is the name of Abraham's brother, but also the name of Abraham's grandfather. He had the camels kneel down near the well outside the town, and it was toward evening, the time the women go out to draw water. And in verse 12, it says, then he prayed. And this is key because if you're a parent, most of you are, uh, that's one of the things we definitely need to do. We pray for our kids' safety, right? Hopefully we're doing that. We pray for a good education, that they're successful, that they find good jobs. But we need to pray that they're in God-honoring relationships, especially today. Especially today when there are so many things that are pulling them away from God and twisting the word of God then we need to pray that God, hey, you know what? I pray that they find someone who is madly in love with you and that they fall madly in love with you because then they're going to be in sync, right? And so he's, uh, then he prayed, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, give me success today and show kindness to my master Abraham. And he, get, he lays out this kind of, this fleece, and he says, I'm standing beside this spring. The daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a girl, please let down your jar that I may have a drink, and she says, drink, and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one you have chosen from your servant Isaac. By this, I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. What many people say is, that's, that's ridiculous. Any woman who came up and he said, hey, can I have a drink? She said, yeah, I'll give you a drink and I'll give you some for your camels too. Any woman would do that. But what you don't understand is he didn't just have one camel or two. He probably had from 12 to 15. Camels drink gallons of water. And it wasn't turning on the faucet. It was filling up these jugs Probably two or three jugs for camel number one, two or three jugs for camel number two. So some people would say, yes, you can have a drink, see the number of camels, and say you're good. It would take someone truly committed above and beyond to say, I will get you a drink, and I'm going to feed all your animals. That's like if we all just hopped in all of our cars, not that there are many out there, said we're going to travel over to get gas at get-go, and we hope to find someone that says, hey, I'm going to fill up your car, and I'm going to fill up your car, and I'm going to fill up all the cars that are with you, and I'm going to pay for it, just because. That's the level you have to think for him saying, I want someone who says I'm going to do this for you and for your camels. And here's the key. Before he had finished praying, before, as, as he was praying this to God, before he finished, God had put things in motion, and the woman, Rebecca, came out. And this is the epitome, and I love it when the Old Testament and the New Testament line up, because in Matthew, and some of you guys are familiar with this chapter, when Jesus is talking about praying, in Matthew chapter 6, he says, when you pray, don't keep on babbling like pagans, because they think they're going to be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father knows what you need even before you ask him. God knew that he wanted what he was going to pray even before he asked him. And even, it says, before he finished praying, Rebecca came out with her jar on her shoulder. And she just happened to be the daughter of his family, and I think she was his cousin, but a generation or two removed. And she says, I'll draw the water for you. And I'm summarizing. She says, I'll draw the water, and you can come and stay with my family. And then he asked her in verse 27, whose daughter are you? Tell me, is there room at your father's house for us to spend the night? She said, I'm the daughter of Bethuel, the son that Milcah bore to Nahor. In other words, she says, hey, 
for him, he knows, hey, you're, you're a cousin. You're not just a, a fifth, sixth, seventh cousin. You just know my master's family, Abraham. You're part of the family. You're directly the person who he sent me to go speak to and to go look amongst and turn over to chapter, uh, say in that chapter, but turn over to verse 50. So he ends up going home with her. Uh, they find a place for him to stay. He meets the brother whose name is Laban and Bethuel, who's the father. And in verse 50, it says, Laban and Bethuel answered, this is from the Lord. He explains everything. He says, here's what my, my master Abraham said for me to do. And he made it clear. He made me swear that I'm going to find someone from his family. And I even said, well, what if they don't want to come? Because, you know, it's a long way. Can, can I just send this back there? And he's like, no. And he says, and then I prayed, and God answered my prayer because Rebecca came out, and not only is she of the family, she's like close-knit part of the family. And here's what sealed it for him, uh, and I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but whenever you see the word Lord with capital O, capital R, capital D, it's saying the name Jehovah, because there are other words, Lord, small O, small R, small D, they just mean a lord, like a, someone of high stature. So what the family says when he explains that to them, they say, this is from Jehovah. In other words, they knew the same God that Abraham knew. They didn't say this is from a God because there's other places in the book of Genesis where people refer to God, and it will use a word that just means God or gods, small g. But they use the covenant name of God. In other words, they knew who Jehovah was. And they said, we can say nothing to you one way or the other. Here's Rebecca. Take her. Go. Let her become the wife of your master's son as the Lord has directed. Now, here's a key thing. Nowhere so far in this has God said, this is what I want to happen. But what they're acknowledging is God's hand and sovereign will is all over this. And they're acknowledging this is not a mistake, this is not an accident, you rode into town, you were praying, and you just happened to meet one of the family members where you could have met anybody. You could have met a third cousin, you could have met someone who doesn't even know our name, but you were brought right to the person, and they said this is God's will, this is God at work, and this is what God wants uh, for their relationship. And the key thing is, jump over to verse 57, they said, let's call the girl and ask her, because the next morning he was like, I got to get back, God has answered my prayer. And they were like, why don't you stay a while? And he was like, uh, I kind of got to get back. They said, well, let's ask her, verse 58, they called Rebecca and asked her, will you go with this man? And she said, I'm going to go. And they travel back, and then in verse 64, they look up and they see Isaac, and she got down from her camel and asked the servant, who is that man in the field coming to meet us? He is my master, the servant answered. So she took her veil and covered herself. In verse 66, the servant told Isaac everything that he had done. And Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother, Sarah, and he married her. So she became his wife, and he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Now, here's the key thing. God does want us to have God-honoring marriages. He wants our relationships to be filled with joy. He wants us to be happy. But he also wants all of our relationships, especially if you're a Christ follower, 
to include him. And here's where it gets a little dicey because most people today, even the ones that are Christ followers, are saying, well, I don't need to marry someone that thinks like I think or believes like I believe. And what God is saying, yes, you do, because just like when we talked about last week, he said if you marry someone who has different morals and beliefs and different ethics, someone is going to have to compromise to make the marriage work. And everyone who's married knows you have to compromise to make the marriage work. But it depends on what you're going to compromise. And what God is saying is, I don't want you to compromise your beliefs. I don't want you to compromise your morals. And I don't want you to compromise your relationship with me. And one of the most misunderstood, although it's often quoted, verses in scripture. Uh, how many are familiar with that verse about being unequally yoked? So misunderstood. So we're going to close out by walking through that quickly. In 2 Corinthians, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. And we're going to start with the verse before it because it's important. And he says, dear friends in Corinth, we have spoken frankly to you. We've opened our hearts wide. Any constraint you feel has not been imposed by us, but by your own inner self. And the reason he's writing them this is because, hey, you, this is his second letter, technically his third, but the second that we have to them. And 1 Corinthians, he wrote them a bunch of different things, answering their questions. And they were like, there's so many rules. And he's like, no, if you're feeling constrained, that's on you. This is simple. Right? This, this, this is just abiding by what God says. And he says, now, just to be fair, and he says, I'm using the language of children, open wide your hearts too. He says, we've opened our hearts to you. We've been in relationship with you. We love you. We're not trying to constrict you. If you're feeling like the church is too constraining or there's too many rules, and there's a whole slew of people that have left congregations everywhere because they say the church has too many rules. Some churches do. God's rules are pretty simple. And, and we've talked about this hundreds of times. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then love one another. That's it. That's what God expects of us. So Paul is saying, hey, the constraint you're feeling, that's not on me. But then he says this. Do not yoke yourselves together in a team with unbelievers. And this is the complete Jewish Bible version because this is the way the Jewish mindset would have understood it. And when he says be yoked together, it's team, it's partner, it's helping one another. And that word team actually goes back to the original word we looked at when we started in Genesis where God created Eve as a help meet, someone to be a partner. And he says, if you're yoking yourself together with someone who doesn't believe like you do, he says, how can righteousness and lawlessness be partners? And people get upset saying, are you saying I'm lawless? According to God's righteousness, yes. Because all of us were separated from God. And when you become a Christ follower, he imparts his righteousness on you so you can be a part of his family. Not because we earned it, but because of his grace. But now you take that righteousness of God and you literally marry it up with someone who doesn't know God. Do you understand? That's like taking, and I don't know why people do this, but I guess people do. But anyone buy like expensive soap and perfume and smell good stuff? 
Like most guys, once we get married, we stop wearing cologne. So I don't know about the women. If you still buy expensive stuff, it's like buying the most expensive perfume you can find, spraying it on you, and then going into the garage to spray yourself with oil. It, it, it defeats the purpose because you're taking this, this wonderful thing and you're mixing it with something that is not meant to be wonderful at all or spraying it on you so you can go like, you know, do the shoveling horse manure or do yard work. And I'm sorry to say, but that's how God views those who are not righteous. All our righteousness is like, and Paul uses the word dung, in the sight of God's holy righteousness. So if we who have the righteousness of God are partnered with those who are unrighteous, that's not saying you can't hang out with, you can't eat with, you can't spend time with, because God tells us those are the people we're supposed to go to. But if you're talking about partnering with someone, especially marriage, marriage, the purpose of marriage, God gives you a help meet. And we, we talked about this in one of the Faith Pittsburgh live streams. What is that person supposed to help you do? will fulfill God's purpose and calling on your life. That's why God brings them to you. But if you're partnering with someone who doesn't know God, are you going to be able to have someone help you fulfill God's purpose on your life? Probably not. And he says, what harmony or what fellowship does light have with darkness? And yeah, because we are, the, Jesus says, we are living in darkness. He is the light of the world. What harmony can there be between Messiah and Belial? And what does the believer have in common with an unbeliever? Great to hang out with, great to spend time with, great to talk to, great to minister to, great if you're in a cubicle next to, but when you're talking about getting into a passionate, romantic, intimate relationship with, someone's going to have to be pulled one way or the other. And then he goes on and he says this, what agreement can there be between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God said, I will house myself in them, and I will walk among you. I will be their God, and they will be my people. And this, I, again, I don't know an easier way to say this. God literally puts the Holy Spirit of God in us when we become a Christ follower. And he's saying, what agreement can there be between a temple of God and an idol. An idol meaning someone who worships something other than God. Because you are literally filled with the fullness, the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And he's saying, how can you partner up? And, and has anyone been, well, I don't want to put you guys on the spot, but I'll put me. So I've been in relationships with people who weren't Christians when I was a Christian. And I've been in relationships with people who were Christians when I wasn't. And the two are going in two totally different places. And as a matter of fact, I've had friendships with people who weren't Christian. There was a guy, um, I doubt he listens to the podcast, so we'll talk about him. His name was Sergeant Gaetan. Uh, he was over me when I was stationed at the Pentagon. And I'm going to have to edit this because I don't want the Pentagon people, NSA, coming and pulling this. But um, they used to have crazy Christmas parties at the Pentagon. I mean, like, crazy. I mean, alcohol flowing. There are restaurants in there that everyone goes to, and then there are complete, like, quality, four-star chef-level kitchens where they cook food for, like, the top brass. And we would go during, I don't know if they still do this because I haven't been stationed at the Pentagon in decades, but when I was stationed there, we would go from office to office from people we knew, 
to the Christmas parties, and the alcohol was flowing. I mean, like, like water. And at one point, uh, the guy I worked for, Sergeant Gaetan, and I, we went one Christmas from party to party to party. The alcohol flowed a little bit too much. I was not a Christ follower. And I was just a blubber. I mean, I was done. And I kid you not, he took me outside. You know those bus shelters with the bench? Like the covered shelters? Uh, he took me outside and leaned me up against one of the shelters and called a friend of mine to come pick me up. And he left me there. This he all told me later. I mean, I vaguely remember someone pulling up, and I'm like, I know you, and then waking up the next day at a friend's house. And then, I mean, that, that's, that's just how things work. But then he got saved, and I did not. And he started talking about the things of God. And every time I was like, let's go to this party, or hey, after work, let's go drink, or let's go do this, he was like, no, nah, that, that's not the way I'm rolling. And no disrespect, you know, because there are people who have great friendships with non-believers, but I used to harass him like nobody's business. Because he was trying to go one way, and I desperately wanted, wanted to pull him the other way with me. And we were just friends and coworkers. And that doesn't mean that everyone who you marry who's not a Christ follower is going to try to get you to, you know, get drunk or do drugs or whatever. But you're moving in two directions. One direction is God saying, I put my spirit in you, and I have a purpose and plan for your life, and I want you to go this way, and I'm going to be with you. And the other direction is a person who says, I don't know that, God. I don't know what you're talking about. So I can't really help you fulfill God's purpose because I don't know your God. And that's typically what happens. And he says this, therefore, Adonai says, go out from their midst, separate yourselves, don't even touch what is unclean, then I will receive you. And it's not saying that you can't touch or be in a relationship with or you can't spend time with someone who's not a Christ follower. That word touch has a level of not just romantic intimacy, but a level of, of deep relationship more than just touch like a handshake. And so God tells us when we're looking for romantic relationships, when we're looking, this has nothing to do with race and people that say, well, you know, that whole chapter is about God saying separate races. They were all of the same race. As a matter of fact, Moses, who wrote the first five books of the Bible, married someone who was of a different nationality. I believe she was Ethiopian. And when he was criticized by family members because he did that, God responded by striking those family members with leprosy. It's not about race. It's about faith. And God wanting us to be with someone who's going to help us in our relationship with him. And for the sake of time, I'm just going to ask you to bow your heads and we're going to close out with a word of prayer. God, we lift up every single person to you, first and foremost, the parents, and we pray that you would impress it upon our hearts to pray for our children, not just for their safety, not just for their success in business and life, but pray that you would bring them into God-honoring relationships with people who know you, who love you, and who can help them fulfill the purpose that you have for them as a team, as a couple, as husband and wife. And God, we pray for 
all of those who are out there looking for a spouse, looking for relationships. We pray first and foremost that they would know the most powerful love there is, and that is the love from their creator. But we also pray that you would bring them into relationships that honor you, that respect you, and that can fulfill the calling that you have on their life. God, we pray that you would speak to our hearts as well and allow us to speak to the people that we run into and acknowledge that there is a God who loves them, who cares for them, who gave his son for them, and who wants to have them as a part of his family. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, and everyone said, amen. Amen. Amen.